Chapter Twenty Seven of Workers Together. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Workers Together or an Endless Chain by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Seven. New Ground. The morning was very bright, and Robert Parks's spirits were attuned to its brightness. He moved about his room with a brisk step and hummed a strain from the hymn which had closed the prayer meeting the evening before. He felt himself to be taking a fresh start in life. The enthusiasm of the new experience was still upon him. He had stepped out from all his previous life and taken a firm stand on solid rock. Everything that had to do with him was changed, with a change that would last forever. There was enthusiasm in the thought that he was to mingle with the world of people who must come to know the change in all his views and feelings. While he dressed, he mused upon this phase of the question, how should the news be communicated? I can't tell them in so many words, he said, at least not until the subject comes up in some way, and I don't see how it is to come up among the clerks in the store, for instance. They are not likely to hear news from the prayer meeting. Their world is miles away from that sort of life. It isn't as though I had been a drunkard or a gambler or a dishonest fellow, or indeed anything else that would be very marked to them. The truth is, I shall have to move in apparently the same track as before. There is really no way of letting people know where I stand. There were both comfort and discomfort in this thought. He could think of people to whom it would be very pleasant to say, I belong to the family now. That is, it would be pleasant if the subject could be brought forward naturally. Perhaps it would be after that prayer meeting. It had struck him curiously during the week that he had met Dr. Everett and Joy Saunders and Mrs. Saunders many times, that they were all deeply interested in his welfare, and that not one of them knew of the great decision which had been made. Several times he had attempted to tell them, yet the subject had not, as he said, come in naturally. Of course, now that Joy had heard his words in the prayer meeting, there would be opportunity to talk with her, and he thought it probable that she had already told Dr. Everett. It gave him much satisfaction to think that he would at once have a circle of Christian friends and belong to their world and become absorbed in their interests. I am not sure that he realized his intention to live in two worlds, that is, to gradually withdraw from the circle in which he had hitherto found his enjoyments, withdraw quietly without any apparent rupture, and leave them to themselves, mingling with them, it is true, during the day, but being not of them. He would have been disgusted had any one told him that he shrank from explaining to the clerks in the store his change of base. He believed that he looked forward with satisfaction to the thought of their knowing it. So he did, but had he understood himself, he would have seen that he wanted them to say of him, Parks has deserted us, he attends the first church prayer meetings, and takes part in them. They say he speaks every time, and he is going to lead the young men's meeting I have heard. He goes with an entirely different set, and has dropped nearly all of his old acquaintances. This he wished to have said gravely, with a little undertone sigh occasionally over his wiser and more favored lot but I honestly think he did not know how entirely he shrank from saying to any of his old acquaintances, Boys, I have found something which satisfies me, and I want you to come with me and find it too. 
I believe he would have been utterly shocked to have discovered that he did not want them to go with him. At the breakfast table, he found the subject under discussion to be a lecture that some of the boarders had heard the evening before, delivered by a popular preacher. The theme had been, Elements of Power in Daniel's Character. The young men who were arguing as to the merits of the lecture were none of them Christians, nor were they theologically wise except in their own conceits, yet they criticized with unsparing tongues. Dr. Everett was not present, and Joy, who rarely appeared at the first table, sat a silent listener, showing only by an occasional flash of her eyes her dissent from some confidently made statement. Robert also was silent, although his newly opened eyes saw the fallacy of some of the criticism advanced against the truth. It would not be wise, he told himself, to be drawn thus early into argument on the opposite side with young men who had hitherto claimed him as one of their allies. But when the arguers were gone, and there remained at his end of the table only Joy Saunders, he was ready to talk. If you had been delivering a lecture on Daniel, he said to her, would you have chosen the same point that Dr. Peyton did for the strongest one in his character? No, she said. The point was doubtless a grand one, but not the characteristic in Daniel that I most admire. I should have chosen his firmness of faith, or pluck, or whatever is the name to describe what I mean, the ability to stick to his principles despite annoyances or danger. Well, but if I remember the story, King Darius exhibited as much of that quality as did Daniel. See how he stuck to his promise about the den of lions. Joy raised a pair of grave eyes to the young man's face for a moment, apparently to see how much of this was ignorance and how much was mere talk, and then answered quietly, Don't you think the difference between them is very easy to define? Both kept their word, it is true, and in doing so the one showed splendid firmness, and the other the smallest kind of weakness. The man of all others the most worthy of contempt seems to me to be the man who has not moral courage enough to break a promise after he has discovered it to be a bad one. Isn't that a pretty severe way of putting it? Robert asked, but he smiled indifferently. He saw nothing personal in the words, and gave but little heed to the argument. At almost the first mention of Daniel, his thoughts had gone off into a daydream, which ran somewhat on this wise. Suppose I had lived in those days when lion's dens and fiery furnaces and all such things were in vogue. What splendid opportunities were afforded for the exercise of Christian courage and true manliness. In these times, it doesn't require any courage to be a Christian. He did not say this aloud. He was dimly conscious that Joy Saunders had certain peculiar ideas and that she would be very likely to combat this thought of his. Neither did he say that he almost wished for a return of those days of splendid martyrdom. But as he bade Joy good morning, and then walked away to the scene of his daily labors, he was conscious of a feeling of semi-contempt for the tame life which he was called to lead, and a vague wish that his lot in life lay where he could show this young woman and all others how strong and brave he was. Ten steps from the door of his boarding-house came an opportunity to show his colors. He met one of the clerks in the store, a young man who had a more responsible position and a better salary than himself. "'Just the fellow I've been looking for,' 
he said with a cordial bow and smile. I am making up a select party for this evening. My sister Jenny is in town stopping with a friend, and we thought it would be pleasant to go around to the Day Street Theater together. Wilson and Brooks will go with their ladies. We need just one more to make our number complete, and the moment your name was mentioned you were unanimously chosen. This, you must know, was very delicate flattery, for the young men mentioned were all older than he, and had generally chosen to move in a select circle of which he was not one. A few days ago, he would have considered himself honored by such an invitation, and would have accepted unhesitatingly. Why should he blush and stammer now? The fact is, there suddenly confronted him certain keen sarcasms which he had been wont to fling at theatre-going Christians, he having been one of those quick-witted young men of whom every town and city had its share, who knew perfectly well what a Christian's duty was, and unsparingly leveled his shafts of wit at the inconsistent. It seemed strange that a theatre should be almost the first thing to confront his new life, stranger still that an invitation should come from those whom it was so embarrassing to refuse. Had it been one of his own set, the young man fancied he should have enjoyed declining, and explaining his reasons therefore. The moment he thought of this, he found himself asking confusedly what his reasons really were. He was not exceedingly fond of the theatre, yet it had afforded amusement which had consumed a good deal of his leisure time, and much money that he could ill spare. Now here was the question confronting him as to what position he should occupy towards theatres in the future. Was it to be presumed that, in order to be consistent, he must ignore them? or was that idea a narrow-minded relic caught from his country mother? Yet that was hardly the question either, for Dr. Everett and Joyce Saunders were neither of them from the country. He could not recall hearing either of them ever mention the theatre, yet he found that he knew their opinions quite as well as though he had heard an exhaustive discussion carried on by them. Still, this did not give him arguments. How would it sound to say to this young man who waited with a show of courtesy, yet with an amused and curious face, The truth is I have become a Christian, and I can't attend the theatre hereafter. Suppose the gentleman should arch his handsome eyebrows and ask, Why not? And he should have to reply, I don't know, only I know it isn't consistent. He would take me for a fool, muttered Robert whereupon he began to feel conscious that perhaps he was being taken for that undesirable character at this moment. The street was certainly not the place in which to decide such questions. Of one thing he was certain. He had not the slightest desire to spend this coming evening in a theatre. Such a disposal of himself would not in the least accord with his new feelings and intentions. Why could not he have promptly declined the invitation on the plea of having other plans, and so have avoided such an embarrassing exhibition of himself. Exceedingly vexed with his own blundering, he still stood in doubt how to retreat. Well, said the waiting gentleman at last with a laugh that jarred, my dear fellow, what is the trouble? You look as though I had asked you to take a partner for life, and you were trying to decide whether you could possibly endure her for better, for worse. It is only for one evening, man, and I assure you she is a very charming young lady. I am sorry that I cannot go this evening, Robert said, speaking hastily, 
wishing he could keep his face from flushing, and wondering whether what he was saying was strictly true. It is quite impossible. You will have to excuse me. Oh, certainly, the other replied. I would not wish to urge you. We only thought it might be pleasant. I believe I'll invite your friend Mr. Hastings in your place. End of chapter 27 Recording by Tricia G.